You're listening to All Things Relax with Sandy D. Inspiring women to relax, rejuvenate, and find their inner zen. Here's your host, Sandy D. Hello and welcome to our show. Today I'm talking with Dr. Helena Liu, based in Sydney, Australia. Her area of expertise is intersectional feminism with a focus on social justice, research, and education. Hi, Dr. Liu. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad that you're taking time with us. Okay, so let us get started. Um, Could you tell our listeners more about you, your background, and how you landed in the field of intersectional feminism? Mm -hmm. I started out uh, as an academic researching and teaching leadership in business schools here in Australia. I had completed my doctorate during the global financial crisis where I actually studied the CEOs of uh, big banks. So I really got to see the dark side of leadership. And I think that interest really stemmed from even further back, you know, as they say, the personal is the political. So I was born in Fuzhou, China, where I grew up listening to my parents' stories of the communist revolution, which instilled in me this fascination with um, the combination of power and charisma and really the damage that it can do. After the Tiananmen Square massacre in China, my parents came here to Sydney, where then we faced anti-immigrant hostility. And it kind of left me with this lifelong sense that I was forever an outsider, that I was never going to belong. I mean, I remember being five or six years old and um, being spat at by white Australians on the street, not to mention weekly taunts of go back to where you came from. So seeing the world, I think, from the margins meant that I developed a unique view of society. And finding intersectional feminism from that experience and that perspective was like coming home. And I found that there was this immense and rich legacy where marginalized women have developed knowledge to explain and challenge the prevailing social order, right? A social order that's founded on gender, sexual, racial, colonial, class, and ableist domination. And beyond this um, explanation and the theory, what I really love about it is the way that intersectional feminism gives us these tools to um, uh, provide possibilities for challenging the structures of inequality in our world and bring about a vision for change. Wow. I love, I love how you take what is such a I mean, it always breaks my heart when I hear that people have been bullied, especially if it's based on your appearance. But I love how you have taken that and transformed it and used it to, you know, leveraging that life experience for this important research. I love it. (laughs) I mean, I don't love that you had to be bullied, but I love how you have taken that and run with it um, in your academic work. Um, So... For those listeners who are not familiar with intersectional feminism, could you please explain more about this concept? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, intersectional feminism is really an evolving social movement that at its core recognises that injustice in our society is not simply confined to one issue. You know, so we're very used to social movements being sort of uh, feminists are fighting for gender equality or the civil rights movement fighting for racial equality. But it's sort of this uh, more complex and nuanced recognition that all injustice is always cross-cut by multiple systems of power. The term intersectionality itself was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, a legal scholar who uh, developed this groundbreaking theory to explain how anti-discrimination law in the US actually failed to protect black women. So she looked at a case where black women, uh, a group of black women sued General Motors, their okay. organization for unfair dismissal. But the law, which was designed to actually protect their case, couldn't figure out why there was discrimination against people who were both black and women. So they said it couldn't be racist because General Motors hires black men and it can't be sexist because they hire white women. So they couldn't actually see that there was an intersection of race and gender in their particular case and they lost their case for unfair dismissal. So the irony of all of that was pointed out so brilliantly and vividly in Kimberly Crenshaw's um, original uh, introduction of this term intersectionality. Now, today, intersectional feminism in some ways uh, understood as a bold rejection of popular forms of feminism. Now, this popular form of feminism is sometimes called white feminism, and mm-hmm. that can be really confronting because at face value, it could actually sound like an accusation. It's sort of saying somehow people who are white and feminist is doing something wrong, but that's not what white feminism or popular feminism, as I call it, means. It's uh, really representing the way that some white women, very elite white women who are cisgender, straight, able-bodied, and middle-class, have colonized the feminist movement into this sort of superficial hashtag girl boss kind of exercise that's really about (laughs) shoring up their own wealth and power rather than about what feminism was originally intended to be for, which is about uplifting all marginalized and vulnerable people. So really the TLDR version of intersectional feminism, I think, can be summed up really beautifully in the quote that was made famous by Fanny Lou Hamer, that nobody's free until all of us are free. So it is just this recognition that we need to work on our solidaristic bonds with each other, not just to think like, oh, you know, if I'm a woman and I'm Asian, uh, then the only things that matter are gender and race and ignore the ways in which I benefit from uh, heteronormative privilege from able-bodied privilege, from cisgender privilege, and now as an academic from middle-class privilege as well. So recognizing that we are all in the same boat and we all have a stake in challenging these systems of oppression in our society. Wow, thank you for explaining that. Um, That is just so fascinating because like as you said oftentimes when you're thinking about feminism, at least in the U.S., people are just thinking more Rah, rah, Gloria Steinem, and they don't realize it's more than that. So, wow. So let me see. So, yeah, I wanted to just comment again about, you know, I love how you explained intersectional feminism, especially for those who are not familiar with it. Um, And just to explain that it's not like competing directly. It's not like pejoratively saying, oh, 
striking away the feminist movement as we know it, but it's more, you know, bringing in and uplifting everybody else, like that understanding that this is not to disparage, but at the same time, it's like, hey, that other version that we're used to <laughs> did not encompass everybody. And so I I am fascinated when you're talking about the court case, um, because my my background in publishing from a long time ago <laughs> was actually mm-hmm. working for a legal publisher, a le- legal and also business publisher. Right. It was called the Bureau of National Affairs. The Bureau of National Affairs had um, something called being a pa- practice and policy. And we had different reference binders and one of them was fair employment practices. And we used to read like, you know, various case law and um, we had lawyers, I'm not a lawyer, but we had lawyers who would do the analysis. So anything talking about employment discrimination is always of interest um, to me. So that was fascinating to oh, hear. Wow. So I want to thank you for talking about that. <laughs> oh, um, my so, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, let's talk more about the importance of validating people's experience of injustice. Do you have a podcast, or are you thinking of starting one? All Things Relax presents The Introvert's Guide to Rocking Your Podcast. This e-course will help you find your unique voice and channel your inner rock star. Sandy will walk you through defining your show. You'll learn behind-the-scenes production techniques with G's Tech Talk. Connect with your audience, overcome self-doubt, and share your unique message. Find your star power and rock your podcast. Learn more at allthingsrelax.teachable.com. You have a voice, and it deserves to be heard. So, Helena, could we talk about the issue of validating one's experience with injustice and why it's so important? As you know, in the U.S., systemic racism is an ongoing experience for persons of color, and it's been brought more to the forefront this past summer in context of the Black Lives Movement. Black Lives Matter Movement, sorry. I love this question so much because um, I was stirred to create my site, Disorient, after I joined the Black Lives Matter protests again this past June in the middle of a pandemic, no less. And I was just so sick of seeing Black people murdered in not just the United States, but here in Australia too. And vulnerable people all around the world right now suffering under right-wing governments who are being subjugated every day in fear that their basic human rights are taken away. Uh, at a moment's notice. Uh, I was um, in the final year of my PhD when the news about Trayvon Martin also came out. Um, And at that time, I was so deeply affected by that story, as were my students. And in the classroom, we really found a space where we could process our anger and our grief. So that was uh, the first moment where I realized how powerful the classroom can be, an an education setting can be for talking and dealing with real world issues of social justice or social injustice in this case. 
I think most people are now familiar with gaslighting, right? The form Mm -hmm. of emotional abuse and psychological manipulation where abusers convince a target that they're crazy. And I think there's systemic gaslighting in our society where those who try to point out that racist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, ableist violence are happening are told that we're being hypersensitive snowflakes, you know, who should stop playing the race card or shut up. Why are you always bringing up gender all the time, you know? And this robs subjugated people of our ability to name and therefore start healing from our trauma. So that's why I think it's so critical that we have spaces where we can have bold and honest conversations about the injustice and the violence that's happening in our world so that we can start raising our collective consciousness and cultivating our our power as a community in order to start changing the world for the better. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about that, um, as you know, the U.S. definitely the past four years has been under constant uh, leadership crisis and talk about gaslighting an entire country here. Um, it's, it's very disheartening as a, as a U.S. citizen to have your president constantly doing that and constantly saying, oh, yeah, there's fine people on both sides. Like that is unacceptable and definitely understandable why after, you know, the constant acts of police brutality that are now documented, I mean, in part thanks to social media, these are finally um, visible, I guess you could say. Not that it wasn't visible, but I mean, disseminated on, on a larger scale. Um, it just breaks my heart every time I see this happen. Like this should not be happening in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and the question that, you know, I keep asking myself is like, what really can be done? I mean, at the root of it, it's just like, how can we still have people out there who don't treat others as, as human beings? I, it just, it eats away at me. It really, truly does. And I, I just had to say that because, you know, we we need to figure this out. And not just here, but as you said, around the world, because it's not just here, but especially here that with our history. Oh, goodness. Well, sorry to go so heavy on you. <laughs> um, it's a heavy you- time. It really is. It really is. Could you please talk to us then about your newly launched blog, Disorient, and what audience you had in mind when you were designing it? And by the way, I want to congratulate you, first of all, since you've um, just launched it. And I wanted to say I had a chance to pop on really quickly and take a look, but I'm going to go back and dive deeper. But the resources page, you've got a ton of amazing resources. And I just wanted to congratulate you on that, too. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited um, after launching it on the 31st of October. So it was um, on the full moon and it was the eve of my 35th birthday. And I just thought I really, that date felt so right to Mm -hmm. me to start something new and to create a little bit of possibility, hope and action in what has been, as you say, a really dark and heavy year. 
Um, so after I participated in the Black Lives Matter marches in June, I was really fired up to take my research and writings beyond what has been in the privileged halls of the Ivory Tower and to support other intersectional feminist thinkers, educators and activists. I hope that my blog helps show how we all have a stake in dismantling systems of the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal oppression, and that we'll all benefit from living in a more hospitable world, all of us, you know, regardless of whether or not we identify with uh, all of the oppressions. And with my background as a scholar and an educator, I hope this orient helps to cut through a lot of the misinformation and misunderstandings about intersectional feminism that's circulating out there. And from a place of integrity, solidarity, and compassion to bring socially conscious folks along in this collective mission. And what you beautifully talked about earlier, the heartbreak, the despondency, and sometimes the hopelessness of looking around seemingly with a world on fire and wondering how did we get here, that my blog can be that um, North Star to help lead people towards uh, possibilities for action and hope. Well, I just want to say again that this is an amazing resource, and I am so happy that you have launched your blog. Um, and as I think we talked previously, too, like I have witnessed firsthand numerous times where I see persons of color being mm, not treated fairly in the workplace and, you know, anywhere ranging from, you know, just being ignored, like when they're trying to speak up and actually even having to like speak up myself and say, no, wait a second. So-and-so is trying to speak. I'd like to hear what they want to say, you know, or even just like, you know, hearing from other former coworkers about, you know, how they will get, you know, pretty much bullied. And, um, you know, it's when they say something, Oh no, we can't do that. Or no, that's irrelevant. And then, you know, five minutes later, a white guy says it and, Oh, it's the best idea ever. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just, yeah, not, not cool. So, you know, it's, it's great that you have this blog. And also I think the more that people kind of wake up and just are aware that there's even a problem, because there honestly still are people out there who don't see that there's even a problem out there, which is shocking. But <laughs> um, I just want to say that you have really put together a great resource for people. Oh, thank you so much. So let me get to the next question here. What advice or thoughts would you like to share with listeners who are in search of social justice, especially when faced with a leadership crisis, as has been the case in the U.S. the past four years? And how can activists join forces globally to support one another? Since we're talking, you know, here we are, U.S., Australia. I thought we'd throw in the global part. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I have three thoughts. Um, first, let us hold on to our joy. You know, it's so easy to look around and see what's happening in our world, a pandemic, uh, a deeply divided racial and gender tensions in our world, uh, and think, you know, there's what's the point? 
You know, there's nothing that I can do as an individual. So in that moment, it's so important for us to hold onto our joy. You know, we're the ones who need to hold the vision of a more just, equitable and hospitable world because we're coming from that place where we know that things can be better, that we can operate more joyously with each other in this inclusive reality. So we need to hold on to that vision. Next, I'd say, hold on to your anger. We need to resist complacency and ignorance. Uh, We might see glimmers of hope in our uh, near future, which I hope will soon be confirmed with a Biden presidency. But at the moment, we don't know yet, right? We're still watching the poll numbers come in and Trump is threatening the lawsuits and threatening the recounts. So we don't know what's going to happen. I'm still in limbo Um, here. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we need to know that even if the Biden and um, even if the Biden presidency is sworn in, that we need to resist complacency and ignorance. We can't say, oh, well, then justice has been won. All right, let's go back to business as usual. I think the last four years has taught us that Trump and his base, they're not just an aberration. They're not just some, oop, it's a little mistake of a noisy minority. Let's just forget about them. I mean, these are people, these are real human beings with very real fears and very real anger and contempt for a changing world. So we have to take that seriously. We have to take their fear seriously and continue to educate ourselves and build bridges across to the people in our communities and in our lives to foster that awareness of injustice, systemic injustice in our society, in the world globally around us. And then finally, I'd say, hold on to love. I think the love that we have for each other, and especially for those of us who are marginalized, you know, women, people of color, uh, and uh, disabled people, LGBTQI people, the love that we need to cultivate for ourselves after growing up in a world that taught us that we're less than you know, that we're not fully human. I think we need to constantly work on caring for ourselves in recognizing our truths and uh, developing the courage and the integrity to work to uh, work together and to build those bridges in our communities in order to continue fighting the systems of domination in our society. Wow, thanks. Yeah, and as you're saying that, it just kind of brings to mind like, how it's important more than ever to remain authentic and your true self. And, you know, people need to accept one another. Like you should not have to change or try to adapt to meet other people's cultural expectations or what have you. Like you should feel supported and you should be able to just be your true self. So um, I'm thinking specifically right now, of um, how we met, which was through um, Faith Mariah's blogathon, <laughs> and just how she really has such high standard and expectations for how people interact with one another in that group, and how everybody, it's an inclusive group, and everybody gets along with no drama. So yeah, I just, I wish we had more of that in the outside world. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And we can create it. We you can, know? And yeah. I think the reason why that community works is because it's led by women who share those values. Exactly. And when we step up and we claim our power 
we can also create that kind of change in the world. I deeply believe that. Yeah. And when you're also talking to about holding on to anger, um, the, there's somebody who popped right into my mind and that was, um, and I'm not sure you probably are very aware of us politics, but, um, uh, Stacey Abrams, I don't know how familiar you are with yes. Stacey Abrams, but I have deep admiration for Me too. how she responded yeah. to pretty much the vote was stolen for her when she ran for governor. And she mm-hmm. has done amazing work against voter suppression. I mean, yeah. So so that's just like one, you know, one of many examples of yes. how you can just, you know, okay, fine. You want to knock me down now, but guess what? I get back up <laughs> and I will channel that, you know, I can't that's say right. she was angry. Her but- hard work. Yeah. I mean, her hard work could really be this change that we're seeing now where Biden is leading right. in Georgia, right? Which I understand exactly. is traditionally a Republican stronghold. So exactly. her anger led to real positive change. Yeah, she went out there. I can't remember the name of the documentary that I saw very recently, but there was a documentary that talks about all the work that she's done. I think it's on Netflix. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, she has just done amazing work. And I know there's others out there too. So like you said, you know, hold on to that anger and channel it into, you know, effectuating positive change. So yeah. Wow. Very amazing people out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So let's see. When we come back, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk more about changing of topic here. What you do to relax and rejuvenate. From social justice researcher and educator, Dr. Helena Liu, comes a new resource for intersectional feminism, disorient.co. Explore tools to rest, restore, and sustain your activism. Discover a wealth of resources based on scientific explanation to become a more socially conscious, intersectional feminist. Help transform the world. Visit disorient.co. So Helena, what exactly do you do to relax and rejuvenate, especially in these kind of challenging times? (laughs) Yeah, these crazy times, like the yeah. need to relax and rejuvenate have never been so urgent and vital. Um, and I really hope that my blog also provides that support and that care to activists who, as you could probably relate, you know, or socially conscious people, it can be very emotionally exhausting and draining to care so much and to bear witness to the injustices in the world. For me personally, um, vital to my restoration is I need community. I need people around me. I need those social bonds. And uh, my friends and I talk about this as holding up a mirror to one another. You know, when we are gaslit by our society, who tells us, oh, you're crazy, you're being hypersensitive, there's no such thing as injustice, we live in a meritocratic society, and how dare you bring up issues of sexism and racism, you're the one being divisive when you bring things like that up that I can go to a community of loving people around me, uh, friends, family, sometimes even strangers or fellow activists who hold up that mirror and give me a reality check. And they say, no, you're not crazy, right? This, this 
injustice really is happening. There really is inequity in our world. And it's important that we continue to bear witness to it and that we boldly, courageously speak with integrity about that when we see it around the world. Whether it is something as big as supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, or as you were saying earlier, Sandy, about noticing the microaggressions or the bullying that happens in the workplace day to day when somebody is silenced in a meeting or spoken over or having their work stolen or taken credit for by somebody in power, to speak up and intervene where we can and where it's safe to do so. So that community, people like yourself, allies and Mm -hmm. friends and activists, this is what really nourishes me and lifts me up. And I, I also need time alone. Um, that's that also restores me. I need time to go inward and to reflect, um, to spend time out in nature or spend time out writing, journaling, uh, doing things that really help me find that inner tranquility and peace so that I can make better sense of the noise and the chaos that's out there in the world. I can totally relate to needing time alone as an introvert. <laughs> yes, recharge. <laughs> So oh, important. Yes. <laughs> okay. So last but not least, who or what inspires you or it could be who and what? <laughs> mm, I think um, people who have been oppressed and rise up and speak their truth and fight for what's right anyway, they inspire me. You know, this is uh, women or non-binary folks, um, LGBTQI folks, um, uh, Black, Indigenous people of colour, disabled people, working class people, people who have been told all their lives that they're never going to amount to anything and that they're not fully human, that they don't deserve the same level of uh, legitimacy and trust and respect and love and care as those in power, that those people who nevertheless choose to stand up for their own truths and choose to speak that truth to power, they give me so much hope that the world can be changed into a better, more hospitable and more just place for everybody. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I know that they are truly inspiring. And yeah, I love how you have taken your inspiration and your I mean, you've devoted your academic, your research to that, you know, it's based on all based on that, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Helena, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And oh, before I forget, I didn't put this in, I'm going to sneak it in. You have a book coming out. I know it's academic, so it might not be, you know, for everybody out there. But can you tell us a little bit about your book? It's coming out in, is it August? Yes. Yeah, so, um, Technically, my book has already been launched in January 2020, but it came out in the hardback version, which in academic, um, in academic terms, it means it's really only designed for like university libraries to purchase. But you're absolutely right. The paperback version of my book, which is designed to be more um, accessible for the public audience. And it's going to include a brand new forward uh, and a reflection on what has happened in the last crazy year yeah. and a half. Um, is, uh, that's coming out in August of 2021. It's called Redeeming Leadership and Anti-Racist Feminist Intervention. And it's really for all thinkers, educators, all the general public who are passionate about fighting sexism, misogyny, um, 
um, uh, homophobia, transphobia, and racism and colonialism in our society. So um, I can't wait for that to come out into the wider world. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it will be published with Bristol University Press, but it will be available uh, in all good booksellers, as they say. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'll make sure that we get that title in there so that people can um, keep that on their radar for when it comes out. That's wonderful. Great. Thank you. <laughs> so um, thank you again. And um, it really has been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for reaching out and connecting. <laughs> it's been a pleasure getting to know you and um, having this chat with you today as well. Oh, great. Thanks. For our listeners, you can follow Helena at disorient.co. I'll put a link in the show notes as well, and I'll include information about her book. I want to thank everyone for listening. We appreciate your support. Ciao. You have been listening to All Things Relax with Sandy D. Inspiring women to relax, rejuvenate, and find their inner zen. We invite you to leave a comment and review our podcast. Check out our blog and online boutique at allthingsrelax.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at allthingsrelax. Until next time.